The Healthcare Quality Cast is powered by the Quality Coaching Company. If you'd like to work with us to earn your Lean Six Sigma for healthcare certification or partner with our innovative corporate training and coaching programs to successfully scale your continuous improvement initiatives, then click the link below to learn more and apply. Hey, quality people, welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast. I'm your host, Jarvis Gray, and in this podcast, we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring industry leaders. We dive deep into the career journeys of these leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for their patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. Now, let's meet today's quality guests. All right, thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And today I'm here with my guest, the nowhere man himself, JR. <laughs> Are you ready to share with some quality people? You betcha. All right, perfect. Well, Jay, we love to start every show with positive affirmations to get our momentum going. So I'd love if you could share a favorite leadership quote or leadership mindset. Tell us why it appeals to you and how do you apply it on a daily basis? <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, so one of my guys that I think is just great in the healthcare quality space is Don Berwick, who was the head of the IHI and worked in CMS. Uh, so and way back in 2006, when they were launching the 5 Million Lives campaign, uh, he was doing his keynote and he said, I want you all to pledge allegiance to science and evidence. Pledge allegiance to science and evidence. And by that, he meant control charts, parade charts, histograms, things of that nature. And then in 2016, at the closing keynote, I saw him again request everybody to pledge allegiance. But he was a little sounded a little disappointed because people haven't been doing it. And I go around at all these conferences and I looked at all the I look at all the poster presentations, and most people are using line and bar charts, which I consider to be the dumb and dumber of, <laughs> of charts, right? So uh, I don't think people have taken him to heart. They haven't pledged that allegiance to science and evidence. And so I'm always chasing numbers and data and facts and evidence to prove things. Um, and, you know, I think we've seen a lot of that during the pandemic with uh, COVID and, you know, vaccine stuff. And so I think that's, that's a very powerful uh, thing from him, pledge allegiance to science and evidence. Well, and, you know, from, from healthcare to um, all the work with the pandemic to probably even just politics in general, I think that statement <laughs> just rolled so many different areas. Um, Perfect. No, I appreciate that start because, you know, Jay, when um, when I set up this podcast and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of made my list of so many different leaders, um, like I was just saying a second ago, Jay, you you've been on that list um, for me personally. Um, I've used your product. I've, I've purchased your books and, um, you know, again, not just following from a distance and, and the opportunity to kind of plug in with you. And just the starting mindset that you shared there, I think is exactly why I wanted to have a conversation and, and introduce you to our audience. So thank you for that start. Um, Jay, I'd love to kind of move to the next question and get more of an overview of you for our audience, if they're not already familiar with you and the work that you do. Um, we'd love if you could share your current role, professional background, and absolutely what led you into this career path. 
Yeah. So I'm chief geek and, and president of Nowhere International. And Nowhere is short for knowledgeware, right? Because I think it's what's between here that gets lots of things done. It's between the ears that most things happen. And we produce the QI macros, which is an, a, a statistical tool for healthcare quality, manufacturing quality, you name it quality. Uh, we're in all kinds of industries, uh, but healthcare has been especially important. Um, and so I started off developing software for the phone company, like in 1973 on mainframes, mini computers and microcomputers. Uh, and then in 1989, roughly, I, I got involved with quality improvement. The, the head of the VP of, of, of the computer operations brought in uh, TQM, right? And so we all got trained in TQM, total quality management. And we started doing improvement projects and we struggled and it was kind of nasty to begin with. And then I started to figure out how to make all those things work properly. And so, at, and, and that's kind of how it got going. And I helped... At the end of my career there, I ended up helping the VP of finance save uh, $20 million in postage and $16 million in uh, credits and adjustments for client, uh, for people in the phone company. So that's like real money, right? And I think everybody can find ways to save real money. Save money, save time, save lives. And I think we can do that easily using the tools of quality. Very perfect. And I guess share with me this, um, because I also read from your bio, and again, these were just some immediate connecting points um, as I followed you, but you've also had um, connections with Florida Power and Light through their dimming process. Um, we'd love to just hear that story, and I'll share with you kind of the connecting point. Sure. Uh, so the people who trained us back in 1989 were um, Qualtech, which was the subsidiary of Florida Power and Light that uh, uh, had they had actually won the Deming Prize for quality. They were the very first company in America to win the Deming Prize. And the Malcolm Baldridge Award is based on the Deming Prize, right? And that was all spun up in Japan. So you, you really got to be pretty good to do that. And so that's where I learned. And Florida Power and Light in recent years has bought QI macros and they're still doing improvement projects. They kind of had an up and down cycle. So they were good and then they got in a new CEO and it crashed and then they brought it back and then they they ramped it back up again in a very kind of easy, quiet process. Uh, I know the guy who did that, and, you know, he kind of had to sneak it in, but he, he did get it done. So been around Florida Power and Light and all of their stuff for almost 30 odd years now. Right, wonderful. Well, the, the connecting point there was uh, for me, I'm from South Florida originally mm -hmm. and my uh, first job out of college was working at Florida Power and Light and the experience that I had there, I was a project manager there. Um, but the experience, you know, as soon as I got in and the role that I worked in, they, and this was 2004 when I started there, but I mean, that culture from the dimming era um, was still there. And that's where I first got exposed to formal Lean Six Sigma. I'm, a, I'm an industrial engineer by background, but that formal training for Lean and Six Sigma is actually kind of where I started my career. Mm -hmm. And then fast forwarded and uh, finally ended up in healthcare and so forth. So, um, so yeah, those are just things in your profile that stuck out. Uh, and one more quick question for you too, um, Jay, but we'd love to just kind of hear the story around QI macros. What or how did that 
um, just kind of developed for you and, and to the point of, you know, where you actually developed the software that, again, I, I've used it for so many years within different settings that I've worked in. Um, love the product uh, in terms of just a very practical SPC software. It's it, right? So just curious to hear that story and, and how that come about. Well, again, when I was working at the phone company, uh, Excel was in its, uh, you know, starting phases like Excel 2.0. <laughs> we, we were in the dark ages of Excel, really. Uh, but Excel was built on a Macintosh and first, and then it was ported to the PC. So it had sort of a Macintosh ease of use mentality to it. And when I was working at a phone company, uh, you know, I'd say 80% or 90% of our people were, uh, had a high school education, not advanced degrees in math and statistics and all this other stuff. And I, and I went down to Jupiter, Florida, you'll know where that is, um, and took a, a week long uh, QMAC chart, not QMACs, but control charts class. And we spent four and a half days using a handheld calculator, handheld calculator to calculate all those formulas for all those charts. You know, the XMR, the X bar R, the X bar S, the P, U, C, N, P. And it's like, I could tell you right then, there was no way I was going to get the people in the phone company to do that. Right. So if we were going to do that, we were going to have to we we're going to have to find some way to automate it. And at that time, the, the phone company was, uh, had been at the, this for a while. And, you know, I, I went to them and there was some software out there you could buy. It was a thousand dollars. And I talked to my boss and he said, we sent you to training, go back to your office, get to work. You know, you can't, you, we're not spending a thousand dollars on software. Okay. Um, you know, so we were all drawn hand, Pareto charts. And I knew I couldn't get anybody to do control charts. And then for some reason, the guy who was in ahead of the, uh, the quality department was obsessed with process, you know, mapping. And they started mapping all of the processes in the phone company, which were so convoluted that it was, it was horrific, really. You know, they weren't doing any lean to try and improve everything before they did that. Um, and we had meeting rooms covered with post-it notes and connectors. Oh my gosh, it was ugly. Um, but anyway, so in 1995, they shut down the quality department because we weren't doing any good, right? We were spending lots of money, not getting anywhere. Uh, and I blame that on how we approached it. You know, it's e even for uh, Qualtech, I mean, their improvement story was Mamma Mia's Pizzeria. Well, if you're in the phone company, how do you, how do you translate that to wires connecting telephones and all that other stuff. I have found that people can't learn unless they're using something that resembles their data, yeah. uh, which is where I've kind of gone toward in all healthcare things is providing lots of data. In the QI macros, we have lots of healthcare data, including the healthcare data guide data, so that people can get in there and start drawing charts um, directly from things that look familiar, like you know falls per thousand patient days and stuff like that. Um, so. Anyway, so got kicked out of the phone company. In 1995, Windows released Windows 95, which as Steve Jobs said, was Macintosh 84. All right, <laughs> so, so it was a Windows-based thing, right? And, but I was using a Mac, and so I started developing some, some templates to do, uh, you know, these charts like Pareto charts and histograms and, 
and started to build uh, the macros. And I built them in Excel for macro language, which is old instead of Visual Basic, which I eventually went to. I wish I'd, if I'd have waited to 97 to do this, I would have been able to use Visual Basic, but I, I didn't start there, but it, about 10 years later, I got to it. So I started building these tools to help me. And I was starting to go out and do consulting projects. And I'd carry my little expensive laptop, right? I once had a grid laptop, had a little tiny screen. It was four grand, right? But I wanted a portable something, brother. Uh, but I, I started to go out and I'd take people's data and I'd, I'd, you know, whip up some charts and they'd go, wow, that's cool. Where do I get that? And I said, well, maybe I should make a product. <laughs> and so that's how the QI macros were born. And they've been endlessly evolving ever since. No, I, I love even, again, just the kind of the simplicity of the development of QI macros there. Um, so, Jay, from me personally and, uh, you know, many of our audience, I'm sure, are used to the story now, but I've just recently left my corporate life to pursue mm -hmm. my own business around healthcare process mm -hmm. improvement consulting. But um, so I, I do try to kind of splash in elements of entrepreneurship just because that's where I'm at now. Um, but what you just said is perfect. I mean, that's the perfect start to entrepreneurship, which is you just recognized a very simple product or, or opportunity problem and turned it into a product. Yeah. Uh, and that's really what entrepreneurship is, as I'm learning is just solving a problem. You solve it one time and figure out how to package it. And that's your, your new yeah. opportunity. So um, love it. Also. Yeah, that's, that's the secret sauce. As a consultant, you sell once, do once. Yep. Sell once, do once. But if you're going to get into the the right end of the game you want to do one sell many times yep. so build the software sell it many times right so we have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of users all over the planet now um, but when i started there was me right and so these and i stumbled forward and had to learn direct mail marketing because there was no internet there was no google right how do you reach customers uh, so there's uh, it's always an endless learning event to be an entrepreneur just endless so well that's that's the path that i'm on now also um so i may have to pick your brain offline about any, <laughs> anything there um but it's it's really interesting uh, you know almost sad that i waited this long but um jay let me let me move you down to our next question again just to kind of stay sure. and focus with um with my entire reason for for getting you on the podcast today but um, Jay, I'd love to ask, you know, based on your experience and expertise around all things Lean Six Sigma, um, but, but more specifically, just that analysis and statistical process control mindset, um, what are three critical concepts or topics that healthcare leaders should have on their radars from your point of view? Yeah, so, you know, I think one of the things when we say the word statistical process control, first of all, the word statistical frightens at least half the people and they kind of go Ooh, shut down and so our task really is to realize that the software went to college took statistics to do all the stuff that's behind the scenes so you don't have to know statistics right the software knows the statistics you know and i think when you say the word process everybody gets bored uh, process sounds boring and then Schuhart did us a terrible disservice back in the 1920s. He became obsessed with controlling manufactured qualities. So now they're called control charts, right? Statistical process control. 
And I, most people's reaction to the word control is, I hate control. I don't want to be controlled. And so we've come up with a three-word phrase that really irritates, annoys, and puts people off. And yet, I think for healthcare leaders, control charts are the secret sauce to getting control of your entire organization and being able to march your way towards zero harm, zero defects, zero mistakes, zero everything, right? So uh, that's one of the things. And so I've come up with a different phrase. And these, so these charts are smart, right? They know statistics, they went to college and software will do them for you. So it's smart performance charts, SPC. Right, and so performance, everybody wants to improve their performance. You give humans a chance, they'll just improve their performance. They have to, right? I was, I was watching the PGA this weekend and Phil Mickelson, you know, went on to win, being the oldest guy ever to win a major. And he said, you know, I just had to work a little harder. It wasn't, not a lot harder, just a little harder. And I think, so as leaders, I would suggest that you embrace control charts and Pareto charts and histograms um, you know, uh, Pareto charts can be used to pinpoint exactly where the problem lives. It is not everywhere. You know, most of the hospital works fine. Most of it works good, but one step out of 25 is causing over half the waste, rework, lost profit, patient harm. Uh, one thing, but you have to use data to go find that one thing. That's it, right? And then you have control charts to monitor that. Uh, most healthcare data is about a 1% error rate. That means one patient out of every hundred in a hospital dies due to a medical mistake. You know, the IHI says one patient out of every two suffers some sort of a preventable harm. So, you know, to err is human nonsense. I find, I believe there's ways to mistake proof everything, absolutely everything, so that people can't make mistakes, right? Uh, and if you look around, you'll find that because your car won't start unless you step on the brake pedal, it won't do it, right? So that's a mistake proofing. So these are the kinds of things that I believe we can do. And then the other thing in healthcare is, you know, you, I think everybody thinks we have to make clinicians faster and that's wrong. If you watch the patient, the patient is sitting idle 95% of the time and patients hate sitting, right? So if you make the patient faster and don't make the clinicians any faster, you'll get better healthcare, better outcomes faster. So this, you know, you know make the patient faster not the clinician, right? Because clinicians are only working on the patient maybe three minutes out of every hour. I mean, if you've ever been to an emergency room, you know this is true. So anyway, I think speed is the healing app and I think a lot of people could use it. And all you need are the advanced tools of quality called post-it notes. I have little arrow post-it notes and I have square post-it notes and you can diagram any process. And in a matter of an hour or two, most nurses can figure out how to accelerate and reduce travel time in their nursing unit by 50% or more. And I've done this repeatedly, so I know it's true, right? <laughs> it's not complex and you can do it quickly. So control charts, Pareto charts, value stream maps, histograms, if you wanna do things like tracking uh, cycle time for things like door to balloon time, stuff like that. Uh, but if you engage in the what I call the magnificent seven tools, and there's stuff on our website about that, if you master those, I think you can slay most of the dragons in healthcare. Well, and I, I was going to call that out specifically too, because the the tools and the way you broke that down, Jay, are, I mean, those are just the basic seven tools, the magnificent seven, like you said, yeah. um, uh, was it Ishikawa called those out many, many years ago, your, yeah. 
doubling down on them here in 2021. Um, you know, it's just the classics. It doesn't require certifications um, no. and, and, you know, multiple day events to do it. It's just, you know, it's applied problem solving and applied common sense in a lot of ways. Um, so let me let me just kind of peek your your thoughts on this. But what what's kind of distracting us? Um, just maybe from your experience being out there in the field and working with so many different groups over the years, um, any any just natural distractions? Because you said it perfectly. Like statistics turns people off or scares people. Right. Process bores people. Um, just is it a cultural thing from your experience then, or I don't know. I'm just again just eager to pick your brains on that uh, as such an experienced leader. Yeah, so my observation is most um, hospitals or healthcare organizations have gone through a cycle where they did process improvement and it fell. And then they did process improvement and it fell. And they did process improvement and it fell. And so it became sort of the program of the month. And everybody said, oh, yeah, I, I've process improved. That didn't work. And, and so they'll nod at you, but <laughs> they've never seen how it can actually work to save money, time, and lives. And, and I believe that the quality community in general has failed healthcare because people come in with manufacturing examples because that's what they know, right? This was very strong in manufacturing. But if you come in and start talking, you know, making pistons to people who take care of patients, it does not translate. They cannot learn. And also if we're trying to teach um, teach people how to do these charts, but you don't give them the software to make it easy, they're not going to do it. I'm sorry, everybody's busy. You know, you look at any nurse, any doctor, anybody else, they're all overworked, underpaid, and, <laughs> and tired, right? And after the pandemic, they're especially tired. And lots of them are going, hey, I want to get out of this business because I don't want to do this COVID thing ever again in my lifespan. I have a friend, Leanne Tiemann, who wrote the Chicken Soup for the Nurse's Soul book. And, you know, she's seeing, you know, just the, the nurses are really, um, you know, thinking about doing something else for a living, right? We have a half a million shortage of nurses in this country right now. Uh, so that, that's, a big, that's a big issue. Uh, and she does something called self-care for healthcare to try and help people stay on an even keel. So there's the mental side of healthcare, but there's also procedural side. And between those two things, they suck up a lot of time. So how do we get uh, improvements in a matter of hours or perhaps a day, right? I've, I've learned how to collapse it all down into a one day agile lean six sigma training, right? And I even put up, uh, you know, I have a free yellow belt training online under lssyb.com. I have free agile lean six sigma trainer training, which is how I teach this to get it done in one day. Um, and using QI macros, it's very possible. Uh, so, you know, I think what we have done is um, tried to teach things from the perspective of the trainer and not from the perspective of the, the clinicians and everybody else that are out there. And when, but when you use it from their perspective, they go, oh, 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 you know, and um, I was, I had to laugh. I was at this one uh, conference, I think it was at IHI or NACU. National Association of Healthcare Quality in 2019 before all this hit. And this one guy comes up to me and he says, you know, I'm the director of the emergency department. He said, and you saved my life. And I go, what? <laughs> he said, you saved my life because you helped me, you know, not chase strange things and you use control charts to 
you know, see what's really going on and pray to church to pinpoint what's going wrong. And you saved my life. And then he ran off. And I thought, wait, <laughs> tell me this story. I want to know more about it. Right. Um, so there are people, you know, that come up to me to say, I embrace this and I really got on it. And oh my gosh, it lightened my load. Nice. You know, it's simplified how we operate the hospital. We don't chase uh, strange numbers anymore. We, you know, it's just normal variation. Shut up, leave it alone. So, um, so anyway, I, I think that we have done a disservice to healthcare and how we taught them and how we help them. And, uh, you know, even the improvement advisor training is, has too many tools in it. I think, you know, if, if we have too many tools, it causes overproduction, loads the frontal lobes and the back lobes and all the other lobes. And then people don't know where to start. You know, people call me up that are black belts and go, you know, I got I got my black belt, but I'm not quite sure how to approach this. Well, control chart, Pareto chart, fishbone. <laughs> it's not hard, right? But but somehow that long tail of tools has made everybody confused about what to do, when to start. Uh, it's very sad, but <laughs> true. Well, I'll say personally, Jay, I love, again, just how you broke that down, the simplicity of problem solving from that approach. Mm -hmm. um, it just kind of validates for me personally how I've been coaching and doing some of the training, mm -hmm. um, even with a lot of the, the work that I'm doing. It's, you know, let's just talk about these couple of tools, um, right. not opening up the full, you know, you can Google Lean Six Sigma and find a Google amount of tools out there. <laughs> Um, but, you know, when we're trying to actually get in and solve a problem, let's be very practical. So right. that makes me feel good that that's your point of view. Um, so I love that. And I think that's going to that's going to probably impact some listeners as they plug in and listen to that as well. Yeah. So even out on our on our website, if you if you get to qimacros.com slash agile, uh, you'll find a whole presentation I did about this to NACU. And you can download my free Lean, Agile Lean Six Sigma ebook and manifesto. And there, there's just boatloads full of free material on my website, awesome. right? Because I'm trying to sell the gospel of an Agile approach to, to Lean and Six Sigma. You know, if you're going to spread the gospel, you got to give away the Bible. So I give a lot of stuff away, you know? I sell the software. That's where I try and make money is on the software end, right? Because you're going to need that to do all these things I'm talking about. Uh, but everything else I try and give away for free. So um, just, it's a resource. And once people discover it, they go, why, why are you giving all this away? Because I can't train 100 million people. I can't do it. Well, I'll be sure to go and connect those links to, to this episode. So for our listeners, check out, you know, the, the descriptions. Um, we'll find those links. and uh, I'll send those links to you. All right, perfect. I'll include it. All right. Love it, Jay. Um, next question I have for you. Would we'll love if you could talk about the uh, the biggest professional success and the biggest professional failures that you've had while working with healthcare leaders um, through any of their project or project analysis mm -hmm. efforts. Mm -hmm. um, share with us what it you know what were those moments and what did you learn or take away from them? Yeah, so I worked with one hospital system who was having problems with uh, denied insurance claims, twelve million dollars a year in denied insurance claims and. Uh, $150 million in rejected insurance claims that would go out and bounce off, um, which can be fixed. And then, um, and then they also had uh, appealed claims and that was taken 300 days to resolve. And so 
you know, I, this is one of the points where I started to learn how you use pivot tables to take data. So they had 47,000 odd records. So take pivot tables, summarize them down and figure out, um, you know, what, what was triggering this, this thing. And when I came in, you know, all the people there were looking at me like, uh, are you a nurse or a doctor? And I said, nope. <laughs> and, and you're going to be grateful for that because I don't, I don't believe all the nonsense you believe about how healthcare works, right? I'm not, I haven't bought into your limitations. <laughs> so I'm going to be a fresh set of eyes and you're going to really appreciate them. And they thought, ah, he can't figure out. We've, we've tried everything we can think of to fix this. And so in about three days of analysis, I, I narrowed it down to pinpointing exactly what the problem was, which was that um, if somebody comes in the emergency room, uh, they were issuing a, a bill for that, and then they admit them into a, a unit, and then they were issuing a separate bill for the, for the unit. And it was going out to the insurance companies, and they were going, no, you can't have duplicate data of service on this insurance plan. And so we were able to pinpoint exactly what that was. And we also figured out one insurance company was like 65% of the total rejected claims for timely filing. And so what we did was figured out how to manually work around that and then start to work with that company to fix the contract that was, that was going on behind it. But they figured it out on a Friday afternoon in a couple hours, implemented the changes on Monday. And after that, they started saving like $400,000 a month 400,000, $5 million a year. It was just spectacular, right? And we also found ways to save like $24 million in rejected claims. And we cut the cycle time for uh, appealed claims from 300 days to 45 days, right? So you get your money sooner. That's always a good thing. With half the comp uh, hospitals in the nation being in financial trouble, that's not a bad thing to do, right? So you can, you can, and most of them don't make a lot of money, maybe a 5% ROI on a $3 trillion spend. That, that just seems bad to me. I think they ought to be making more money. Um, so that's the success. And on the failure side, it has invariably been something to do with the culture I walk into. So I keep trying to clear that up beforehand. Uh, I still don't always get that right, you know? So leaders will pretend they want to change, but they don't want to change. And very often leaders have been successful because they use gut feel, common sense, and trial and error. And they were pretty good at it. And they got to a certain level of performance. And they want to keep using gut feel, common sense, and trial and error. But guess what? It stops working at some point, about a 1% error rate. You, your five senses cannot detect what's going on in the world. And so what you have to do is come back in and go, um, no, we need some new tools to take it to a new level. But very often, these leaders will not want to give you the data. They'll complain about the data you do have. They'll, that's not the right data. And I say, well, if, well, you got better data. Bring it. <laughs> we'll use your, well, I don't know if I, shut up. Okay, just shut up. If you don't have better data, shut up. Right? And so, but very often, what's made it difficult to make any progress is leadership is blocking it because you know they don't want to be seen as being not good at solving their own problems. Sometimes you need help to solve your problems. When I get a plumbing leak, I hire a plumber. <laughs> I don't go in there and go, nah, I don't need any help and basement's filling. I don't do that. Uh, I don't do that. So let's get smart about using tools of quality, letting people help you succeed at solving those problems. 
I mean, that's what I saw at Florida Power and Light when it rebooted its Six Sigma effort. The guy that was down there said, you know, I can't do it the way we did it originally. So he'd just go out to the VPs like of Dade County and go, so what? So what's your problem? Well, you got too many power outages in such and such a county. Well, would you mind if I go look at that? And they'd go, you know, do a little data analysis. And uh, I remember they found that tree frogs were getting into the transformers and stretching across the wires and blowing out the transformers. And you'd find, but it was only at the time of year where the tree frogs were, were zooming out, right? And so they figured out how to shrink wrap the transformers so that tree frogs can get in, but it would still ventilate. Uh, so these, but that was how that guy got going was, what's your biggest pain? Let me see if I can help you. That's my thing. Start with the worst first. It's always easier that way. So th those are my two thoughts on success and failure. All right. And both of those, I mean, just again, very tremendous stories around your success. Um, very clear points of opportunities uh, for failures. And, you know, the take home point, you know, if you don't have data, I mean, shut up. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> um, but, you know, data is clarity, you know, for a lot of the work we're doing. And it, it just puts me in the mindset. Um, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. Right. So um, perfect. Love those takeaways. One, one other thought on that subject is uh, very often we'll say, well, uh, I'm not sure our data is good enough or we don't, we don't have perfect data. And I keep telling them there's no such thing as perfect data. Get over it, right? All data is systematically distorted to make someone look good. All data systematically distorted to make someone look good. Now, the good news is it's systematically distorted so we can use it to make improvements, right? And eventually when people figure out that you're not gonna use the data to beat them to death with it, uh, they start coming up with good numbers. Uh, now it may take a few years. That happened at Florida Power and Light, right? They were decreasing outages uh, for a couple of years and then spontaneously outages spiked and then started going down again. And they figured out that the prop, the deal was that people finally decided to start reporting the data accurate, right? So until I trust you, I'm not going to give you all the data. I'm just not going to do it. Awesome. Let me move you to the next question here, Jay. Um, we'd love to, again, kind of pick your, pick your thoughts on this one, but we'd love to learn what's a favorite um, go-to tool or technique for data mining and analysis. Right. So I mentioned earlier, you know, that it, on this saving the, the $5 million, I use pivot tables. That's something we don't te teach in Lean and Six Sigma. Sure. But if you start from raw data, it, pivot tables are very powerful. And uh, you know, I used to try and teach people how to go pivot table, control chart, Pareto chart, Pareto chart, fishbone. And I found that you know, still humans have a hard time learning that. Uh, so back in 2017, 16 and 17, I started to automate that. The QI Macros Improvement Project Wizard uh, is a tool that will take raw data, pivot it, summarize it, draw control charts, draw what I call the high level 80-20 Pareto chart, take the big bar of the 80-20 and drill down into that to get to the 450 rule, right? I always say 4% of what you do produces over half the waste, rework, and lost profit. That's one step out of every 25. And so what it'll do is, is do that and then it'll draw a create a fishbone diagram based on the big bar of the 451. And so it will look through all of your data just endlessly until it finds every possible project it can find in there 
And then you can choose amongst the various projects. You know, we have you know tr training videos on that on the website. But what used to take me hours and sometimes days takes me minutes now. So I did that for me, right? And everybody else gets to use it. Uh, but I think that's, you know, we talk about uh, low-hanging fruit, but most of the time, the low-hanging fruit has been picked. I'm sorry. It is the invisible low-hanging fruit. It's the stuff you can't figure out, and it's all in raw data about individual incidents. So, you know, it doesn't matter if it's adverse events or medication errors or, um, you know, denied insurance claims, all of these things. Um, if you have the individual data about that, you can use that pivot tables and all this other stuff to summarize that and pinpoint exactly where that's going wrong. And then, and only then at that point, should you pick the team to solve the problem? You do not gather a team before you know what you're going to solve because you've got, you know, John wants to go this way and Susie wants to go another way and somebody, you know, I call it the hundred yard dash for the directionally impaired. So we, right. What we want to do is narrow our focus down to this. Uh, one nurse told me, they said, oh, we did exactly that. And we found that, you know, most of our patient falls were men between the ages of 20 and 40 in the orthopedic surgery recovery unit. Guess what? Men 20 to 40 don't know they can't jump up and run around after orthopedic surgery. But if that's where most of the falls are occurring, do you think you can prevent that? You betcha. Right. So when you get down and narrow it down, you're not trying to fix falls all over the hospital. You're trying to fix it in the one place where you have the most of them and you know exactly who's the problem in that, that situation. So that's the kind of thing that I think uh, is so imperative is to take that raw data, pinpoint what's going on, and then fix just the thing that's broken, not try and fix everything. Perfect. And so I, I, need to probably go back and play with QI macros again. I, I'm not familiar with that feature. Um, I will brag again, just with the QI macros, um, you know, from my my favorite features in the tool are really around the uh, control chart dashboard um, and just the way that it, it simplifies how to create entire dashboards. Um, I had a team that I was working with and was painfully trying to pull them off of um, off of that, uh, the, the heat map dashboards. Right. Um, and I mean, so first of all, heat maps and performance improvement, uh, you know, I'm already do not mix. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was that was the tool that really helped us succeed. So just another kind of quick plug or a brag about QI macros. Um, let but, me, uh, yeah, let me tag on to that, which was I gave a presentation at the 2018 NAQ conference. And in 2019, a bunch of people came back up to me and said, you know, we went back to our hospital. We ripped out our aligning bar charts. We used QI Macro's control chart dashboard to automate measuring all of their KPIs. And they said, you know, our management of the hospital got so much simpler because we knew what things were stable and what things were starting to get in trouble. And so we could focus on what was getting in trouble and not do anything with the stuff that was fine. And they said, you know, back to that, you saved my life kind of a theory. Um, it makes it makes management so much easier because you don't go chasing wild geese about why this number's up or that number's down. It's nonsense. It's just noise. So. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. Um, Jade, next question I have for you. Could you please share with us a healthcare leader that has had the most influence on your path and, and share what was the impact? Yeah, so um, I don't know who this was, but... In 1999, when Two Eras Human came out, 
and the Joint Commission started accrediting hospitals, somebody at the Joint Commission said, thou shalt use control charts for thy core measures, right? There was 30 core measures. Thou shalt use control charts. And there were some email listserv out there and nurses would write in the email and say, how do I draw a control chart? And five or six nurses would write back and go, buy QI macros, right? <laughs> buy QI macros. And I'm telling you, the QI macros have been a very grassroots thing throughout my, my whole existence. We don't go to the leaders and sell it down. The bottom sells it up usually. Uh, and, but what happened was that led to working with hospitals all over the nation from coast to coast, uh, the Veterans Administration, Kaiser Permanente, um, I mean, just all kinds of folks. And out of that, that was that one thing probably made the software as popular as it is in healthcare today. We're in about 3,000 of the 6,000 hospitals nationwide. Let me, let me turn the question around to this because you know, again, just with your your exposure and your experience in healthcare, Jay, um, what do you see today as the number one challenge and the number one opportunity for up and coming healthcare leaders, um, whether it's big picture or even specifically kind of related to statistical analysis or, or right. analysis work that we lead? Yeah, so I think number one, you have to decide to stop using line and bar charts, especially line and bar charts that have trend lines on them. A trend line without the corresponding goodness of fit metric, R squared is what it's called, you know, can lie about whether we're improving or not. And I see this all the time in all these poster improvement stories. So stop being afraid of statistics. There's software like QI macros or somebody else. I, I don't care who you use, you gotta use somebody. Um, and I think QI macros are just easier because the dashboards make it easy to keep everything up to date over time. Um, so the software went to college, took statistics, you don't have to, you know, you don't need to know all the formulas, let the software know that. You don't need to know decision trees because the QI macros has a control chart wizard in the software that'll pick the right chart for you. This is unlike all the other software. Everybody else asks you to pick the chart first and then pick your data. I ask you to pick, select your data because that's how Excel works. Right, select your data with the mouse, click on the control chart wizard, it'll go pick the chart it thinks is right. And you know, even though I know what chart to use, I just let the control chart wizard pick it for me anymore. Um, and then, you know, as Don Berwick said, pledge allegiance to science and evidence, start using the tools of quality, you know, um, stop winging it, right? And just stop winging it. Uh, and there's very affordable tools like QI macros. I mean, for $300 or less in volume, you know, you can start getting everybody engaged and using these tools to manage the business better, you know, better patient outcomes, less patient harm, more money, faster, better, cheaper, all of that stuff. And so I believe that, and, and it doesn't take a lot of extra efforts like Phil Mickelson would said, you know, um, it just takes a little more work. It doesn't take a lot more work. It takes a little more rigor. It doesn't, you have to learn a little bit about a control chart and how to, what it means when it's doing certain things but i have some examples on our website and videos about how wow how that works so it's not complicated it's quite simple anymore so th those are the things you know you know stop using the old stuff get into the next this century and start using tools that have been around for a hundred years and start using those things 
and you'll be surprised about how, how easy your life will become. Right. And, and Jay, I, I want to translate that, you know, for some of these up and comers, because um, we do have a number of early and mid careers that plug in with this podcast. Mm-hmm. Essentially, everybody, what Jay just said is step your game up. So <laughs> that that's really what it comes down to. Right. You know, we're taking the easy track with some of the, the ways we look at data or put put together reports and things. And like you said, a little bit more effort, but honestly, step your game up and the impact that control charts and other forms of analysis can have can be beyond tremendous for your organization. Um, and, and it's no harder to draw a control chart with QI macros than it is to draw a line chart with Excel. You still select delay to click a button. It's still the same game. You just get a lot more information because control charts will pinpoint when there's a signal in your data and tell you when it's just noise. But you can't tell that from line charts or run charts or whatever. Perfect. Well, Jay, man, you are, you're doing a fantastic job. Um, I want to transition us into a part of our podcast that I call the two-minute uh, drill. Okay. It's kind of my take on rapid-fire Q&A, but uh, just checking in with you really quickly, see if you're ready to roll. Sure. All right, perfect. Well, Jay, the next question I have for you is something of a two-parter. Uh, would love if you could tell our quality people something about your current work that inspires you to do your best, but then also share with us, how do you inspire other professionals? Yeah, so... You know, I, I set this big, hairy, audacious goal, which is to create hassle-free healthcare. Hassle-free healthcare. Now, what does that look like? Well, you glide in. You scan your ID. It gives you a rooming card. You walk into the room. The doctor and the nurse come in to see you, right? And it's fast, right? And then nobody manages to harm you in any way, shape, or form while you're in there right? Wouldn't that be slick? And then it would be more affordable. You know, we estimate there's a trillion dollars in waste in healthcare every year. The IHI set an, a goal in their trillion dollar checkbook to reduce that, that cost by a half a trillion dollars, $500 billion by 2025. But I don't see anybody making any progress toward that. But I think with these tools, you could get there in 24 months if you, if you stepped on it in your organization. Uh, so that's one of the things that keeps me, you know, going, right. I'm 70 years old. I have enough money. I could retire, but you know, I'm going to need healthcare. I'd, I'd like it to be better. You know, if it was an airline, I wouldn't fly it. I, I, I think it's too dangerous. So I think that's kind of where we're going. And I, I see this movement towards zero harm, right? Zero defects as Phil Crosby used to say. Uh, but there, there are places like Memorial Hermann and some other hospitals that are achieving zero harm in infection rates and uh, blood transfusion errors and other stuff. And so zero is totally believable, totally possible, but it just takes a little bit more rigor, not a lot more rigor, because you don't have to fix everything, right? Just the one step out of 25 that's making up, causing you all your grief and process problems. So. That's, you know, Virginia Mason up in uh, the Seattle area speeding everything up. Nurses used to spend 35% of their time with, uh, with patients. Now they spend 90% of their time with patients because they use lean to redesign that whole environment and workspace. This, you know, and when you get to 90%, nurse satisfaction goes up, patient satisfaction goes up, uh, patient outcomes goes up, patient harm goes down, money flows in. You know, they went from losing money to making five, six percent a year. Um, it's all possible 
but you just got to want to love it. And that the closing thought there, it's all possible, but you just got to want it. I just wanted to, to emphasize that. So I love it. Um, Jay, what's the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? So my boss in the phone company, Manley Reynolds, uh, once said, don't do me any favors. Don't fire me. Don't do me any favors. Don't fire me. Don't force me to, to get off of the, the corporate nickel. Uh, and, and, but when I, when I heard that, he said it so many times, I thought, maybe I should start thinking about what I might do next. And so it kind of opened up my awareness to, hey, maybe I should go be a quality consultant. Uh, and then out of that, I became, I started developing the software because people liked what I'd done to help me. And so I started helping them. Um, strange journey, I, you know, just a random walk to success on this thing. I, <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't plan it. I just got there somehow, right? So that was it. Don't do me any favors. Don't fire me. Um, Jay, what do you consider to be three key attributes for being a data-driven healthcare leader? Yeah, so I think, first of all, you have to be gentle. Uh, data can be a very blunt instrument, and you can use data to bludgeon people, not processes. So you need to bludgeon your systems. You need to bludgeon the processes, because uh, people are doing the best they can under the system you have devised for them. If you want to beat yourself, beat yourself, right? Because <laughs> your systems or what's making people slow and ineffective and error prone. Um, and as I said before, there's no such thing as perfect data. Get over it, right? Use the data you have. You know, and even in, in Six Sigma, we have DMAIC, which is define and measure. Well, people run out and think they have to divide, define new measures. No, I'm sorry. There's a ton of data. Every company on the planet collects too much data. They never use it. Um, go find the data you already have about the problems you already are suffering from use that data to start to improve. At some point you may discover you need a better measure, but initially use what you've got. So skip over, define a measure, go straight to analyze, improve control, rinse and repeat forever, okay? Until you get to zero harm. Um, and then as I mentioned also earlier in my 2018 presentation, NACU, people went out, stripped out their line and bar charts, put in control chart dashboards and started monitoring their hospital that way. And, you know, just like the guy from the emergency department, you know, you saved my life. It made management easy. You stop uh, running amok. You stop having too much overtime and firefighting and all that other stuff. Um, these are things that are easy to do and just take a little bit of learning about how control charts work. Uh, and once you start using that dashboard, life's going to get simpler, just simpler. Jay, can you share with our quality people uh, one professional society and one professional conference that you think will be a value add? Sure. Um, so I've always belonged to the American Society for Quality, uh, but it's still very manufacturing oriented. 80% of the, of the membership is uh, manufacturing oriented. Uh, and unfortunately, 80% of America is involved in service industries. So, <laughs> you know, ASQ has lost track of, of who it's, it's um, who, who it could serve out there. Uh, I like both the Institute for Healthcare Improvement and NACU conferences. Um, the IHI is a little bit resistant to any kind of outside thinking, like me, right? Consultants who aren't, uh, you know, doctors, nurses, PhDs, 
Um, and, you know, I worked at Bell Laboratories back in the late 70s, and we had master's degrees and PhDs, and some of them were spectacular, and some of them could not find the bathroom with a, with a guided doormap, you know. Um, so just because, you know, you have a lot of letters behind your name does not mean that you know everything. You know, and, and I've been at, at the IHI where there's hour-long presentations about a, how to calculate the formulas to do a G-chart, which is for uh, rare and, and, and you know, never events, basically. Well, number one, I know people aren't going to go home and start using those formulas. Use the software. Then we could talk about what G-charts are good for. And I think that would be invaluable. So, uh, you know, I, I think either National Association of Healthcare Quality, um, the IHI, uh, those are my experiences. There, there's another one. Um, I forget the AHRQ or something, but I haven't been as, as connected to them. Uh, so those are, where would I go? That's where I'd go. Perfect. Um, Jay, if you could recommend one book to our quality people, what would it be and why? Yeah, so not to brag, but Lean Six Sigma for Hospitals is a book I wrote, which is about how do we do this in healthcare? And again, we're talking about the Magnificent Seven tools, not a gajillion tools. You don't need to know design of experiments. You don't need to know a lot of crazy stuff. Um, and I've had people come up to me at conferences and say, you know, I took the, the green belt or the black belt training, and then I read your book. And suddenly it all made sense to me. What? Yay! <laughs> right? Uh, so I've tried to make Lean and Six Sigma for Healthcare accessible through that book. And I think, you know, that, that a lot of people say that's just super. And then if you want to know more about control charts in healthcare, obviously Provost and Murray's Healthcare Data Guide is really the go-to book for all of those things. And within the QI macros, we have a healthcare data guide uh, test data set, which has all of their data in it. So you can take their data, run all the charts with the QI macros, you know, and follow along in the book and learn all about control charts. Uh, so those are the two things I'd recommend. Wonderful. Love all of those resources. And um, so I didn't know about um, the the Lean Six Sigma for Healthcare books. So I, I, I love this podcast, Jay, because I'm the first one getting the info and I'll be purchasing it, you know, as soon as uh, we jump off. Um, but I've loved uh, the Lean Six Sigma Demystified. That was a book that I picked up early in my career path. I first came into healthcare in 2007 and have kind of grown up right. uh, from there. But um, just want to give you just shout out again to not just your product, um, you know, QI macros, but just your writings as well. Um, it's played a Thanks. impact on my career path. Well, that's what that's what I keep trying to do it for, right? You don't write books because you want to make money. You write books because you want to help people move forward in some way, shape, or form. Because let me tell you, you're not going to make a ton of money writing books. <laughs> you're just not. Um, but what it does do is force you to organize your thinking which most people don't recognize is that's the big byproduct of writing these books is, is getting your own thinking clear and clean so you can share it with others. Uh, and I think that's what it's always done for me. Well, it's definitely had an impact uh, just being on the other side of your pages. So thank you. Um, Jay, what's one piece of advice that you would give healthcare organizations to help them better manage their, their operations or improve their outcomes? 
Yeah, so as, as I mentioned before, you don't have to fix everything. I think in Lean and Six, you know, e even back in TQM, Total Quality Management, I saw Deming one time and he said, I don't know where everybody got this crazy idea of total quality management. It's nothing total about it. You know, Duran, Vital Few, Trivial Many. You don't have to fix everything. You only have to fix the little bit that's broken and leave the rest alone. Right, you don't need to train everyone. You just train the people who are about to solve a problem, right? And so you, I do like an hour just in time training, and then slam them into solving their own problem, right? I don't spend four weeks in black belt training or two weeks in green belt training or improvement advisor training. I just do it in a day, and I, I force them to bring something to work on to the training. And so, uh, you know, I think. If one step out of every 25 is causing half the waste rework and lost profit, use data, pinpoint that, fix it. You know, it may be that, you know, one doctor likes a certain kind of stent and that stent's very expensive and doesn't give the outcomes that you would like. Science and evidence will tell you we're not going to use that stent, right? <laughs> so let's, let's be a little bit more um, aggressive. If you're just using gut feel, common sense, and trial and error, you're not going to get there. Uh, so that's the one thing I would like you to think about. And then the other thing is you have to accelerate the patient, right? Don't let the patient sit, right? Uh, Virginia Mason has a story where the, uh, they brought in Japanese counselors to the, and they looked at the layout of the hospital and, and the Japanese counselor said, what are, what are these areas? And they said, well, those are waiting rooms. And the counselor said, well, who waits there? They said, patients. And he said, well, how long do patients wait there? And they said, oh, 45 minutes to an hour. And the counselor said, aren't you ashamed? Aren't you ashamed? You know, when I took my wife in for a, a minor surgery. Uh, they had us get there like 5.30 in the morning. It was 7.30 before they called her to, into prep. No, that's stupid. <laughs> I'll get there 15 minutes in advance. I'm not going to get there two hours early. I had to get up 3 a.m. to get her there. You know, that's stupid. Okay, this this is not customer patient centric. Uh, so let's get really patient centric. Healthcare is predominantly doctor centric, uh, but that's not how we want to go roll in the future. It's all patient. Those are my thoughts on that one. Perfect. And Jay, we're right there at our last question. This is our closer, but let's say that we're sitting here a year from now celebrating what a great year it's been for you and your team. Take a second to think about it, but share with us what exactly did we achieve this year and how are we celebrating? Uh, well, I would celebrate if we start chasing that zero harm, hassle-free healthcare. Um, I believe that the pandemic overloaded healthcare and hospitals so much that they have had to rethink how they do everything to accelerate everything. And I don't want them to lose the lessons they learned from that, right? You know, it's like MASH 4077, right? <laughs> right, it's meatball surgery, you know, get them in, get them out, kind of. Uh, so I think that there were tremendous lessons learned. I would like to see those integrated into healthcare uh, across the board. And, and so the, the more we can do that, I think the better off we'll be. And for me personally, if I could go to the Institute for Healthcare Improvement Conference, and instead of seeing line and bar charts being 80% of the, the charts used, I could see control charts and Pareto charts and histograms be 80% of the control charts used. That would be my metric. 
you know, and I just run around and stroke tally what kind of charts are used. And I, I have to look at five, 600 improvement posters. That's a lot, right? I have to break it up into two, two practice, two things, right? Because I get tired of doing it. Um, but if that, if I notice that metric changing, I'll believe that we're on the right path to science and effort. I love it. Um, Jay, I just have to say again, I mean, the, the opportunity for me to um, connect and kind of get inside your mind for, you know, the last 45 minutes or so um, has been just tremendous. Um, I really appreciate your insights throughout this conversation, um, the push for data, the push for evidence, the push for, you know, using practical tools and approaches, agile approaches for improvement. Um, I think a lot of those points, again, are going to go very far with the listeners for this podcast. Um, Jay, let's go ahead and end today with you just sharing the best way to connect or follow you through social media. Um, and again, we'll take a lot of your posts or your links and connect them with this podcast. But um, with your social media, folks can hopefully plug in and find you and, and then we'll officially sign off. Yeah, you can find me at LinkedIn. I also have a Lean Six Sigma for Hospitals group. Uh, I don't um, manage it as probably as well as I should, um, but there's a place out there to <coughs> gather to talk about this subject. And uh, every, every month, you know, we do a QI Macros webinar. Um, I've been doing, uh, for anybody that's out there that is a member of one of these state groups, I do uh, trillion dollar prescription webinars for free to any NACU or IHI or any other state group who wants me to come in and talk about how we can get there from here in a timely fashion. And you can go to our website, qimacros.com. And we have free yellow belt training, white belt training, agile, lean six sigma trainer training, uh, downloadable white papers and books like the agile book, um, all available online. And so, uh, I'd like nothing more for everybody out there to get trained and smarter about using this. And if you have questions, you can always email me, jay at qimacros.com. And just say, I heard about it on this podcast and happy to answer any questions you might have. Well, I'm excited to say everybody also that he absolutely responds to the emails. So <laughs> today, um, you know, Jay, thank you so much again um, to our quality people everywhere. Thank you all for listening and making us a part of your day. This is Jarvis and Jay, and we're signing off. Thanks. Quality people, thank you so much again for plugging in with today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it using the social media link posted in the notes below. I'd also be very grateful if you could subscribe, give us a rating, and also share feedback on what additional value we can bring to you through this podcast. That helps a lot with our show rankings and also with getting this great content out to healthcare leaders around the world. And if you want to engage with me directly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn, where I share additional resources, access to our QI community, and much more. All right, quality people, thank you again, and I'll see you back here next week when I introduce you to another quality guest.